0: Rising Champions, a podcast about the mental side of sports, featuring inspirational interviews with young rising athletes about their quest to win their personal championships. Hosted by Dr. Jason Novetsky of Champion Mindset Group, alongside radio personality, Kyle Bogie. Welcome in to episode three of the Rising Champions podcast. As a part of the Champion Mindset Group, I am, of course, Kyle Bogie alongside Dr. Jason Novetsky of the Champion Mindset Group. And uh, look, we have one of the more exciting interviews uh, that that we've had in the very early going here. A a lively kid, a confident kid, and one that I think is is destined to go on to the next level and do some big things, and that is uh, Auburn baseball commit Corbin Griffin. Uh, Doc was was his confidence something that you had to instill in him, or did that come uh, uh, free of charge as you started working with
1: him? Yeah. Like I think I said about Paige a couple of weeks ago, he kind of came standard uh, with some <laughs> of that confidence. Uh, but when I first met Griffin, as you'll hear in the interview, we met actually uh, in, a, in a bagel shop or something, because I was happened to be in his hometown that weekend, and his uh, coach that's a former teammate of mine uh, asked me to talk to him. And we just developed a nice relationship right away, but... Uh, He has some sick skills. There's no doubt about that.
0: Well, and it's an an interesting thing too, because he offers the unique perspective of being a kid. And this often happens in high school. You know, you're at the plate obviously as a a hitter, but also it looks like he's going to go to the next level and be a a pitcher and a lefty uh, Mm -hmm. at that. So, you know, adding in a different dimension and different value certainly once he gets to that next level. But I kind of want to hone in on here before we get to Corbin, the, the confidence versus almost timidness, you know, and, and I'll use myself as an example. I was a, not a great athlete by any means. I'm going to say that a million times as we're right. working together, doc. But, um, you know, I, I, remember a coach telling me, you know, you really need to be more confident in your ability, you know, and make more plays. That's one thing I would tell you. And, uh, I was like, well, where can I find that? And he yeah. like, he pointed over to the benches Uh, In the stands and he goes, I don't know, maybe it's over there. You might want to look, you know, kind of joking around. Uh, Great encouragement, you know, by the way. But some some kids, it it takes time to find that and discover it. With others, it's just kind of always there. Have you noticed that
1: in in your time? It is. I mean, like we say about mental skills in general, uh, it's something that can be developed. And people come with a certain level of it. And, and some people really need to work at it, whether it's mental skills or, or confidence. And, you know, I'm going to speak to the coaches out there for a moment right now too, because please stop telling your kids just to be more confident and, <laughs> or, or to bear down or to focus or to concentrate. You need to teach those skills. You know, uh, they want to have all those things. And when you just tell them to do that in the middle of a game, it just frustrates them. So unless you're willing to understand how that works and teach it, don't just tell somebody to do something. You need to teach that and cultivate it in them, so they can develop it. And and so when someone like Corbin comes to me, or any athlete comes to me, and they say, "Hey, coach, you know, help me with my confidence. I lost my confidence." And I say, "Look, first of all, you didn't lose your confidence. You're just not thinking the right way." And I ask them the simple question, you know, "Is confidence a thought or a feeling?" And many times they're puzzled by that and they want to jump to it's a feeling. And I say, "Well, what do you do before you feel?" And they think. And I say, "Well, you're doing it right now. You're thinking." And we think before we feel. And so with that in mind, we start jumping in right away and we say, "Okay, let's talk, since we can manage our thoughts a little bit better and we can manage our body language and things like that, those are skills that you can use to develop your confidence. So just real quick, Kyle, I mean, there's a bunch of things that we can do to manage that level of confidence. And first and foremost, with, with Corbin, we, we talked about, well, why does he want to play baseball? Why does he want to play at the next level? What are his goals? So we talked about developing goals. What's his purpose? Uh, a big thing he struggled with a little bit was comparing himself to other athletes at his level. And we know through the literature, comparison is a losing game. I mean, if you compare yourself to somebody else in anything you do, you're always going to find something that they do better than you. That's just our natural instinct, right? So let's avoid comparisons, just as focus on yourself, what you can control, as we keep saying, focus on what to do and what you can do. And then the skills are being more prepared than anybody else can be. Do your due diligence, prepare as best as possible, physically and mentally. Monitor that body language, stand tall, act like a champion, be a champion. Uh, Make sure the pictures in your mind are positive outcomes. You want to see yourself performing to the best of your ability, even in tough situations or being resilient and bouncing back from a a tough situation. Making sure that your inner voice, that inner coach uh, is supporting you and not beating you up. And we'll talk more and more about this as time goes on, but neutral thinking just focusing on what you need to do uh, versus positive or negative thinking. That's a whole other topic we can get into down the road. And then, um, you know, that's the opposite of being hesitant, you know, which was the question, you know, confidence versus hesitancy. So, you know, being uncertain or hesitant is the opposite of being confident. So let's just focus on being confident and developing those skills over time and the hesitancy will go away.
0: The, the phrase uh, fake it till you make it, um, you know, kind of comes to mind with this. And I remember early on in my career, you know, which is very different, you know, whether it be uh, speaking in public or be, being on camera, being, you know, on a microphone, whatever it is, I, I was told by a professor early on uh, to never let them see you sweat. You know, yeah. when you're in the arena or you're in that stadium, never let anyone see you sweat. You might skip over a word, you might forget something for a second, but you know what? Don't give them the satisfaction of thinking that you might be off your game. And I got to believe that that kind of equates, you know, to athletes a little bit that even if, okay, maybe you do give up a base hit, maybe there is a guy in scoring position or, you know, and you don't have the best stuff, don't let them know whether it be social cues, the way you're looking, feeling and all that, that you might've lost your
1: edge. 100%. I mean, your body language, your facial expression um, is huge. I mean, uh, I've seen this quote a million times. It's, Body language never whispers, it screams. And so when you put your head down or you give an expression or your shoulder slump, you just leaked all your confidence to the other team or to whoever you're competing against. So that's truly important. Uh, you said something really important there earlier about fake it till you make it. Uh, it's true. I like the phrase <laughs> I like the phrase, however, and I learned this from Amy Cuddy who did an amazing TED Talk on the importance of body language. And I would encourage everybody to look up Amy Cuddy on TED Talk. Um, And she said at the end of her TED Talk, don't fake it till you make it. Fake it till you become it. And I thought, wow, that is really powerful. I'm totally stealing that and using that with all my clients. (laughs) Because I I look at it this way. You're not really faking it till you make it. You're, You're practicing it till you become it. Mm-hmm. So practice being confident with your body language and your self-talk and your visualization, your preparation and all those things. And then you become confident. And, and confidence is tricky because you're confident in one area and you may not be so confident in another I mean, you put me in a trigonometry, trigonometry class and I am not real confident, but you put me, you know, over a, a one foot putt and I'm pretty confident, <laughs> you know, <laughs> things like that, I but, yeah, right. <laughs> but I mean, it's all situational, but the more we practice those skills, the more confident we can become. Justin Verlander had
0: so much ability, right? And he would, you know, it'd be the seventh inning or something like that. And all of a sudden he's just, I'm letting it all go. You know, I'm throwing 100. I'm throwing 101. Everything I got left in the tank, I'm going to throw it because you know what? I can throw it. And and not many other guys have that in the tank late in the innings. And what would happen is he would try to overpower guys, be overly cocky and confident. And then guess what? He would end up getting beat up and he would go out early and they'd have to go to the bullpen. I guess, how do you manage the mental balance of you want to be very confident in your ability? You also don't want to allow it to get you in trouble.
1: Yeah, I think the line you're talking about is the difference between confidence and cockiness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and Justin teeters on that line uh, quite a bit. But lately, obviously, he's been more confident and deservedly so. He's very uh, well-skilled. Uh, I think what he learned over time, and I don't know, Justin, so you know, I'm just kind of speaking from my opinion, uh, but he developed that confidence. And some of it was from past success. And I'll bet you a lot of it was from the work that he put into preparing. <laughs> I mean, that guy's eyes are like tree trunks. So he's got that physical stamina that he knows that he can reach back now in the eighth and ninth innings and still throw harder than he did when the game started. And he's learned how to pitch. And so over time, he's become more confident based on his past success, his experiences, his preparation. Listen to him talk. He's very confident in his self-talk. And I'll guarantee you, he visualizes himself being successful all the time. So he developed those skills because I think earlier on he got a little too cocky with just having a golden, you know, a golden arm. Is
0: it as simple as that? You know, obviously you, you know, a lot of the athletes that you work with have had success, um, you know, in various capacities early, you know, in, the, in their athletic career and in their academic career, um, you know, I'm sure as well. But is it as simple as you know visualizing and, and you know seeing themselves do it, believing that they can do it, and getting over that hump to create the confidence? Like, I, you know, I guess the other side of it is if you're timid how do you bring that out you know of somebody to be more confident
1: yeah so the first part of the question is is it as simple as that well it's simple to understand not so easy to do and that's the yeah. difference there so we can talk about it all day but now you got to go out and actually train and do it and that's the difficult part because you're going to be uncomfortable when you're doing it and you got to be able to push through those feelings of being uncomfortable you know our brain has like a bodyguard in it And that bodyguard is always protecting you from feeling uncomfortable. I I talk to my clients about, you know, you have a secret service agent in your brain. He's always looking out for you. He doesn't want you to get in any danger. So the second you get uncomfortable, he says, no, don't do that. Avoid it at all costs. Take the safe way out. Well, you know, if you want to be an amazing athlete, you got to bust through that. So you got to push that bodyguard aside and dive in. So, you know, that's what I would focus on.
0: Well, this is, uh, again, an interview that I I very much enjoyed. Great conversation. A kid who's not uh, short on confidence. I think that's really going to benefit him down the line. Uh, We got Corbin Griffin uh, on Auburn Baseball Commit coming up next. Anything else you want to mention before we get to Corbin here, Doc?
1: No, I'm just really excited to have him on. I think uh, our community of listeners is going to really love uh, what he has to say. I think his confidence is going to come right through the... The lines that you're listening to, and hopefully be contagious for all of our rising athletes uh, as they listen.
0: All right, please subscribe, share, download, uh, you know, follow us, of course, the Champion Mindset Group and the Rising Champions podcast. We are on Spotify uh, and on Apple. And uh, I guess with that, here's Corbin Griffin. All right, well, Corbin, um, first of all, I uh, want to say congratulations, obviously, uh, committed to Auburn to go uh, be a pitcher there. Um, a huge accomplishment for you at a very young age. I got to believe, you know, even though you're, you're focused on now, you're excited to uh, eventually get down to Auburn.
2: For sure. Thank you so much. It means a lot.
0: Absolutely. Uh, now, Doc, from what I understand, you've been working with Corbin, uh, you know, a little bit, again, on the the mental side, you know, of being a pitcher. And this is a fascinating subject for me because I, I love watching pitchers, particularly when, you know, they got a guy on base, so there's distractions and things going on. But Doc, what are some of the things that that you, you know, were able to learn about Corbin very early on?
1: Well, you know, Corbin is a a tremendous athlete, so we're really excited to have him on today. And uh, I got to know Corbin about two years ago. He was referred to me by his coach and our good friend, Rich McDonald, uh, who I played college ball with. And so the funny thing is, I got to meet Corbin the first time in in a bagel shop. Uh, I happened to be in Kalamazoo, uh, look, uh, going to see my son play at Kalamazoo College, and that's when Corbin and I were able to meet and work it out. So I got to see, you know, some of the struggles early on that, that Corbin was having, not too much, just, you know, learning how to be confident, um, uh, taking his physical skills and combining that with the mental skills training that we were going to do to make him uh, an all-around great ball player, which he's really turned into be. And one of the first things we had to focus on was that cliche, again, of just controlling what we can control. And, and making sure that we're in the present moment. So, Corbin, let me ask you first, you know, um, tell us a little bit about your background for our audience, kind of where'd you grow up, when'd you get into baseball, things like that.
2: All right, so um, I grew up in a little town, Richland, Michigan. Um, I got into baseball when I was about two or three years old. Um, a nice little story is uh, my dad, he, you know, he took me out there, played some catch when I was really young, and um you know, I kept on picking it up with my left hand and, uh, you know, of course being a lefty in baseball, you know, that's pretty, uh, a pretty like special talent. Yep. And, uh, you know, he told me the story a couple of times, like he was always like super happy. You know, he's like jumping up and down, going inside, telling my mom how like he's a lefty, you know, like super excited. <laughs> so I, mean, I think from that special day on, uh, I just kept on uh, working with my dad about it and, um, you know, just kept on coming going from there.
0: Okay. Speaking of that, I, real quick, I mean, you, you, your dad has to just be geeked uh, about this opportunity for you. Like just, you know, speaking from my perspective, I retired from baseball after the <laughs> second grade season, played one year of hardball. and I was, That was it. You know, I could the long pants and the hot weather I got just I couldn't take it. Right. And I, I swear my dad has never forgiven me for giving up baseball. That's got to be a really special, you know, thing for, for you and your dad to share.
2: Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. My dad's always asking me about what I'm doing for baseball. He's always like, um, asked me about the coaches and stuff at Auburn, what I'm talking about. Uh, yeah, he's just, he's just excited. He wants to go down there, um, this, uh, this summer and actually, uh, you know, go visit it for his first time. And, um, yeah, it's, it's cool just having him in my corner and just being able to share stuff with them, you know, share my mindset with them and, uh, you know, just really go through this path with them. So.
1: Great. So, talk us through a little bit of your high school career so far. Um, I know at one point you were on JV, but were brought up to varsity for districts, if I remember that story right? Yep. yep. Okay. Take us through that that transition you had.
2: So, freshman year, um, yeah, I was on JV through most of it. I uh, got brought up at the end of it for uh, districts. And, of course, me being uh, the only freshman on the team, I was super nervous about it. And uh, of course I didn't get too much playing time. I was kind of just there, you know, just on um, filler spot just in case something happened. And, um, yeah, I mean, I just, a couple of spots here. I think I had one or two ABs in it, uh, pinch runner, you know, the, the typical stuff, you know, just, just experiencing it. So other than that freshman year, I didn't really do much. Uh, we mm-hmm. didn't really go that far. We lost sadly in the regionals, but sophomore year, um, you know, that's where everything started to pick up a little bit. Um, I guess my season got cut a little bit short because I did have a, a wrist injury three weeks into it. But before that, I created a little bit of buzz. I went down to a, a PBR event down in Indiana for the mm-hmm. high school team. And, you know, I uh, created a little bit of buzz there. But other than that, sophomore year was uh, just mostly me on the bench showing with my arm cast. So, hmm. so, so and, where
1: did, when did you really start to get noticed and get that buzz going? Was it through summer ball and travel ball? Um. Yeah. I mean, coming in, after high school, everyone
2: kind of like knew my name around the area. Of course, down South teams knew me. Um, I guess it really started picking up uh, with my, uh, summer ball coach, uh, AJ Volmeri. And, uh, he, you know, he uh, promoted me to like all the, all the Southern schools. I was focusing on sec, ACC schools, you know, just big, big, uh, big teams on there. And, uh, yeah, just more buzz got created throughout summer ball team, big events, uh, pretty good performances on the mound and hitting. And, uh, yeah, at the very end of the summer ball. Um, that's when everything kind of happened with me at Auburn.
0: Okay. All right. Is there, is there a moment, though, I mean, you talk about your freshman year and your sophomore year and all that, getting to the, the biggest level, which is obviously, you know, the varsity level, going through some ups and downs, is there a moment maybe where mentally you feel like, okay, I got this. I belong. I'm supposed to be here. You know, were there some struggles you had to go through, or, or do you remember a specific time when you just said, I, I can play. I, I got this.
2: Um, yeah, I'd say it came sophomore year, of course, freshman year, I was really young. I was 14 still when I was you know, on varsity that freshman year. So I guess once I got in the sophomore, I got into a, like a bigger role in the team. Um, that's when I started gaining confidence, you know, just walking on the field, telling myself, like, I'm here to do work. I'm here to put my hundred percent, hundred percent into it. And, uh, I, I'd say by the start of sophomore year, I was really confident with my abilities to get, uh, on the field and, uh, do me.
1: That's great. Um, tell us a little bit about the mental work that you have done to be more confident. Uh, some of the things that we went through and, and how did that work out for you? Um,
2: I would say I get like my mindset and, uh, confidence from, uh, my meetings with you actually. Uh, okay. so I think, I mean, it's usually just going through the process really. Um, you know, like you always experience new events. Uh, some of it really good. Some of it really, um, negative that can take a toll on you for a couple of days even. And, um, yeah, it's all about just, um, trying to find a ways around certain, certain, um, I guess like ordeals that happen throughout your career. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you just naturally learn to adapt to, um, the lifestyle you're living and what you're trying to accomplish and, uh, you live it through something that you're hoping for in the future. Really. oh, that's uh,
1: Fascinating. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the, the mental hurdles that it really does fascinate me with, with pitchers and I I'll be watching, you know, game on TV, whatever it is. And I always get so frustrated because pitchers will, they'll get a guy on first base. Maybe they walked in maybe got a single, whatever it is. And their whole mindset will totally change. It's like, they can't stop thinking about that guy over on first. And I'm like, forget about that guy. You know, I know you got to do your job and keep him there and, and you know, you want to keep them close, but I guess, what is that like? You know, does it change a little bit on the mound when there's a runner in scoring position, a guy on, or do you have to try and block that out so that it doesn't distract you enough and get you off your game?
2: Um, I'd say, uh, I mean, if you're confident in your ability, if you're confident with what you're trying to do on the mound, that kind of just like turns into white noise. You know, of course you're aware of it, but overall, like, it's the hitter that you're really happy with. Um, Plus me being a lefty, like, they're not going to really steal on me a whole lot. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but I mean as long as you're confident with your abilities I don't think for me anything changes uh, plus I'm, I'm always confident my catcher too to gun him out you know I'm always gonna try my spot and give him the best chance of throwing them out so honestly for me not, not too much
1: okay so Corbin I remember when we first met um, some of the things we discussed and I'm curious if you're still using some of this is you know we talked a lot about routines we talked about a pre-pitch routine we talked about some performance statements we talked about pre-game and pre-night routines and things like that I'm wondering if some of that stuff has stayed with you and uh, or if you've modified it in some way and and how just how do you get prepared for a game and for every single pitch?
2: So yeah I mean i pretty much been following the same thing we've been talking about. You know, everything starts pretty much the night before mm-hmm. you know, I always get into routine, you know, I'm um, just taking a, about 15, 20 minutes going through what you want to accomplish to that next day. Um, you know, always eating healthy, getting the right amount of sleep. And, uh, so everything starts the day before. And, uh, when you get to the ball field, I feel like the confidence and like everything's already there from that night before you're already prepared. Mm-hmm. So the only thing you got to worry about is going in there, um, I mean, doing your warmups correctly and, uh, you know, pitching your game, you're ready for. Like, so I think everything happens the night before. Um, the one thing I really stick with on the mound is definitely the breathing technique, you know, mm-hmm. the, the deep breath before every pitch. Um, I even saw that in a uh, time Henry, that pitch for Michigan. I like, right. I, like that kind of sick me. Like, you know, he's really dominant. So, you know, just seeing another person and success do it too. It's like, I just know, like as long as I continue on with it, I think, uh, Yeah.
1: And Kyle, I think that's really uh, amazing for him to talk about being prepared the night before. And I preach that a lot when I work with teams and, and of course my individual clients. But I think the more you get done the night before, so you can wake up the morning of a game, knowing you have everything you need. And I mean, it could be little stuff like, is your uniform ready? Do you have the snacks and drinks that you want? Do you know what time you need to leave? I mean, simple stuff. But if you wake up in the morning and you're scurrying around your house, looking for stuff that creates anxiety and tension and you're going to carry that right into the ball field that day or you might forget something too if you don't check your equipment and, and, and like I said, those little things. So the fact that, that Corbin's really stuck with that, taking 15-20 minutes a night before game to get his mind right, to make sure everything's ready, his nutrition, sleep, I think that's a, a big contributor to his, his ultimate success. So what's the pregame meal then, then or the <laughs> night before meal? Because I,
0: I know Justin Verlander always talks about, you know, he always uh, binges or eats a ton of Taco Bell the night before, uh, you know, he's got to start. Is that – I can't imagine you're eating Taco Bell.
2: <laughs> I mean, no, for me it's um, it's usually anything really light. Uh, I try to stay away from the carbs, really. I know, like, sometimes people do carb load, but for me I just do really light stuff. You know, a lot of healthy fruits and stuff like that. Maybe, like um, – Honestly, a turkey sub or something like that. I know that's still carbs, but like nothing, a whole lot. And uh, really just keep like the calories down a little bit because, um, you know, you you don't want to, you know, have an upset stomach on the mound or something, really something you don't really need to uh, worry about. So, honestly, anything that makes your body feel 100% the next day, that's what I'm going to do. A
0: a big comparable for me um, as far as pitchers and I, I think cornerbacks in football. I think from a mental standpoint, those are two very similar positions because of one thing: you gotta have a short memory. Like you might get beat on, you know, uh, you know, a fly route, whatever it is, and give up an eighty-yard touchdown. You gotta forget about that because you gotta come back out, and they're gonna test you and test you and test you, thinking they can do it again. In baseball, it's kind of the same thing: you give up a homer, you give up, you know, a deep liner, you know, to the gap, whatever it is, and teams are gonna think, okay, he's gonna leave that thing hanging up there. You know, we gotta take advantage. How much, How quickly do you have to forget? You have a bad inning. You have a bad, you know, uh, batter, whatever it might be, and move forward and be like, okay, I got to lock back in.
2: So ever since I was uh, playing on my old Maroons team, Coach McDonald has always told me you get about ten seconds, and then you just got to reset. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think after multiple years of just repeating that, that's what I just naturally do. Like on the mound, um, if something like that happens to me, you know, I, of course I'm going to be a little angry in the moment being. But, you know, after a little bit, you know, just take a deep breath after it. Like, honestly, just letting everything flow is probably the biggest part in this game. Because once you start overthinking, when you start getting mad, you're not focusing on anything anymore. You're focusing on yourself, not what you're trying to accomplish. So once you get mad, you're already defeated. So I would say just get out of it in 10 seconds and, uh, you know, just keep your mentality correct all the way through.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. So, Corbin... I think you're setting a great example for younger players. So we're going to have a lot of younger baseball players probably listen to this. And what are some things that you would tell them so they can get on a similar path, whether it's through your nutrition, your mental game, your physical training, um, your perseverance, uh, anything that comes to mind that you think would be a good insight for younger players to follow.
2: Honestly, just having the mindset of just honestly letting everything flow. If you just build off of that, everything will be fine. Because, um, Honestly, a lot a lot can happen to you you know a lot of negative stuff you can go over four um, but of course in the time being it's like the worst thing for you you know you're like you feel like a feeling gut like you just hate it mm-hmm. but honestly in, in the next day you're not thinking about it anymore you're thinking about video games you're like hanging out with friends like <laughs> right. it, it, it really does not matter. Um, you know when you have a good game and when you have a good game you really never think about it after.
1: So Corbin, what I hear you saying is that you're really good at moving on to the next pitch. And and talk to us a little bit more how you do that like after a stressful situation.
2: Um. Yeah. Just uh, giving it ten seconds or so. You know, just refreshed your mind after a pitch, after a bad hit or something like
0: that.
2: Mm-hmm. Um. Honestly, just yeah, just let everything flow after that. Um. You can't be stuck on something in the past because if you're stuck on something in the past, you're not looking through the future. That's right. So, yeah. So. So
1: obviously you also had to deal with a lot of stress and pressure with all the scouts you probably had to perform in front of them and showcases. So, you know, I work with a lot of kids that that's a big deal. You know, they're worried so much about the people in the stands and they are the people on the field. How were you able to deal with that kind of pressure?
2: For me, I never really like think about the people in the stands you know like i'm always confident my abilities when i get them out i kind of like like the show out you know like i'm like mm. if you guys are here to watch me i'm about to freaking ball out right here you know so, <laughs> so like i never think about that I just think about i'm just gonna give you guys a good show and uh i'm just gonna go to form but i'd say for those people that you know are nervous about that are nervous about people watching you uh, and judging you wrong on your like a bad performance just um just know there's always gonna be another game mm. and, it's a kid's game. No one's gonna really like care in the future. Just know that if you can show that you persevere through something bad, you're automatically gonna get gonna get more respect the next game, automatically. Yeah. So,
0: I'm I, real quick. I gotta ask this out of my own, you know, curiosity here, watching uh, sports <laughs> and you know, seeing it on the professional level and all that. You have a unique perspective because you're you're a hitter. You're also a pitcher. The bat flip. Your thoughts?
2: <laughs> Ooh, okay. I mean. <laughs> For me, if you get a hold of it, I mean, you can baffle it all you want. Like, you know, you got me. I mean, best believe, like, best believe, next time you come up and I strike you, I'm strutting off that mound. I'm showing my presence on that mound. Like, I'm, I'm there, you know? Like, you just got struck up with me. You, you know, I owned you right there. I think that's a See, great, great perspective.
0: That's, that's the thing. Like th- these pitchers, you know, will go out there and they'll, they'll, you'll strike out the side or something and you will be screaming into your mitt. You'll be fired <laughs> up. You'll be run. And like the guy throws his bat after he gets a home run. He can't even react. It's like, whoa, <laughs> come on. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, I mean, yeah. These, I mean, if you're a good pitcher, you barely get hit. So if you do get
1: hit, you, you let it slide. I'll let it slide. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Corman uh, let us know also I, I think we probably should ask you this a long time ago I mean when I met you you were you were a growing guy so how tall are you now how hard are you throwing what kind of style pitcher are you what pitches are you using things like that
2: so I'm about 6'3 almost 6'4 now um, 210 pounds mostly I'm just you know just a big guy and uh, you know below usually sitting like the upper eights uh, maybe low nines now I haven't really got clocked, but that certainly okay. feels like it okay and um, you know I usually go fastball, two-seam, circle change, slider, and curveball. And uh, I'm kind of more just like a straight-up, I'd say, power pitcher. You know, I kind of look after, like, prospects like Jesus, Luzardo, or um, any other big flame-thrown uh, lefties. And then will mm-hmm. be, like, uh, so I think every- keeping everything simple, just throwing cheese is what I, like, that's what I like <laughs> to do. I, see, I, like, I was I, like I crafty, but I' like yeah.
1: see there there's the word I was looking for because that that's how I was described in college, even in my bio in the program crafty <laughs> left hander because you know i I maybe touched ninety one to my career on a one hundred and ten degree day or something like that <laughs> but I was like fastball change up guy, and I always find that the change up is the most underrated pitch out oh, there, because yeah. as a hitter too, you know, when I was in high school, anytime a pitcher could change speeds, that just messes everybody up. So even more than a good slider sometimes, just a, a ball looking like a fastball, but coming in at 10 to 12 miles an hour slower, just, you know, the hands roll over, they swing and miss, things like that. So how often do would you use your changeup, and is that something you would throw at any count?
2: Um, in the past, I haven't been, like, too confident with the change changeup, but, like, over the years, I've gotten getting more and more confidence. But if you can, like, throw a fastball in a spot and throw a changeup right there as well and let it fade out, like, it's practically unhittable for some pitters definitely like lefties if you are going inside like Mm -hmm. it's hard to hit so i mean if you get the right count and good spot i mean it's like game over from there gotcha
0: all right well corbin uh we we really appreciate you uh you know spending a few minutes with us um obviously best of luck congratulations uh you know on the auburn commitment and um, is there a place where you know everyone can find you on social media, or you know track some of your progress and just kind of keep up with your you know day to day here as you you know make the transition from high school to college?
2: Yeah, so my Instagram handle is Corbin thirty two, and then for Twitter it's Corbin Griffin thirty two.
1: Awesome. So you can awesome. follow me there. Yeah. Assuming that's the jersey number. <laughs> what was that? Is that the jersey number thirty two? That's right. Favorite number. <laughs> <about> that, everything. <laughs> that's everything. Nice. Well, hopefully, you can get it in Auburn, but you might have to wait. Yeah, I know.
2: Casey Miles was the last guy to use that number, Ooh. so that's a big feat. That's a that's, a,
1: that's a thing to live up to. Absolutely. Well, Corbin, it's been great to see you, man. Uh, I wish you all the best. Keep in touch, and uh, let's keep it rolling. And like you said, just let's keep flowing it. All right. Thank you guys so much for having me. Okay. Thanks, Corbin. Appreciate it. Take care, it. Corbin. Thank you for listening
0: to the Rising Champions podcast. Please subscribe and join us again next week for another episode.